1: Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode three hundred and sixty-two of the Packaday Podcast. My name is Andy Herman. Of course, I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. You can always follow me on Twitter at Scanny Sports. Today, we are going to be walking through the Packers' tight end depth chart, and to help me do that, is Packaday Podcast very own Jacob Westendorf. Jacob, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today, and uh, welcome to this episode three hundred sixty-two, where we'll be breaking down the tight ends.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Uh, We are on, let's see, by the time it's Monday now, so uh, we're, what, three days away from the start of training camp, so a little bit of less of uh, looking ahead to football. We'll actually be looking at actual football.
1: Yeah, three days away from the start of training camp, three days away from episode 365, our one-year anniversary of the podcast, which seems absolutely insane, and I could be totally mistaken. I haven't gone up Uh, and tallied the numbers or anything like that. But I believe that this could be true. I think of all of our podcasters, myself included, that you may have appeared on more episodes than anyone else. Uh, Maybe you could speak to that better than myself, but uh, any idea if that's true or not?
2: I don't know if that's exactly true. I know that's basically dumb luck. I enjoy doing it so much that if somebody asks to, you know, they need somebody to sub for them or something like that. I've just been fortunate enough that I've been able to do so. So it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate being on the team and uh, yeah, I I can't believe that people actually listen and care enough to hear my thoughts with so many other great people that are on the show.
1: Well, I certainly appreciate you uh, being on the team and and more importantly, I appreciate you helping out. I know you know there's uh, a ton of us uh, that are you know podcasting throughout the course of the year and uh, you know everyone's kind of have their assigned days here and there but of course emergencies always come up and uh, people have things going on from time to time and every once in a while we need fill-ins and it seems like every time that we do, you're always there to fill in. And that is a insane help. And I certainly appreciate that greatly. So thanks so much for being part of the team. And thank you so much for always hopping on. And like I said, I think of uh, everyone, if, if it's not you, I know you're right up there uh, with everyone for uh, most episodes of the, the 365 that we got coming up here.
2: That's awesome. I appreciate that. And uh, let's let's uh, enough of the verbal bouquets. Let's talk some football.
1: I appreciate that as well. And that's one of the things (laughs) I always appreciate about you, as well as uh, you want to get down to brass tacks and start talking football. So let's do exactly that. Of course, today's topic is the tight end depth chart. And before we kind of go player by player, is there anything or anyone that stands out to you in general? Maybe a theme, maybe a specific player, maybe a group. Is there anything that stands out to you about this tight end group? And if so, what is that specifically?
2: Well, I mean, they made the top 100 pick investment in Jay Sternberger, which is something they haven't done uh, since, I believe, well, Richard Rodgers might have been a top 100 pick, if I'm not mistaken. If not, before that, it was Jermichael Finley uh, of tight ends that they've actually drafted and developed. But something that came to mind when you told me we were doing tight ends earlier is how Jimmy Graham kind of is a player representation of the changing of the guard. You know, the first big move that Brian Gutekunst made was releasing Jordy Nelson, And then a couple days later, signed, or actually shortly before that, signed Jimmy Graham. And fair or not, that's kind of the comparison that Jimmy Graham is always going to face, is that even though they play different positions, essentially they signed Jimmy Graham to replace the salary number, at least, that Jordy Nelson was making for that time frame. So that's something that I find interesting. It's kind of why one of many reasons Graham's down year uh, last year was very disappointing. Um, so looking at the group as a whole, you know, I think they're looking, there's some Packers fans, bloggers, film guys, whoever, uh, that look at Jimmy Graham and say, this guy's done. And Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur, based on everything that they've said, very much disagree, uh, with that take, whether, I mean, what they're saying publicly are things that like aren't provoked. It's not like they're being asked and forced to say nice things about Jimmy Graham. They very much believe that he's still a player. Aaron Rodgers is another one of those guys. When they asked him last year if he wanted to play with Graham for another year, his response was basically, hell yeah. Uh, so I think that you know this is a team that's still – they've brought some new guys in. They brought back Marstadies Lewis, Robert Tanyan, somebody that could take a second-year leap. But I really think your theme of this tight end position is – does Jimmy Graham have a bounce back year? Because I really do think that the team, the organization believes that he's still a very good player, even though he wasn't necessarily that for most of last year.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point. And I, I think, I don't remember the specific quote from Brian Gutekunst, but it was it was loud and clear that they felt, and uh, that he specifically felt that Jimmy Graham still had a lot to bring to this team. Um, and I, w- I was a little bit, Put off is the wrong word, but it opened my eyes a little bit because i I remember him saying something specifically about how uh Jimmy Graham was a good blocker, which to me when I went back and I watched every play from a season ago, uh you can say that you know maybe he thought the effort was there or something which I would still disagree with, but you know to say he was a good blocker, I would have. Uh, you know, a, a tough time agreeing with that. But regardless of of, of those thoughts, I agree with you 100 percent that this organization still has a lot of faith in Jimmy Graham, and we of course know that he was you know banged up a season ago, and we'll we'll break him down more uh, in detail in just a little bit. But uh, my my thought and my theme of this tight end group is just the size that they bring to the table, and uh, of course every you know NFL franchise is, it's not like they're you know bringing in a bunch of six two, six three guys to be their tight ends. Every every franchise franchises, bringing in, uh, you know, big physical tight ends. But this group is Jay Sternberger at 6'4", 251. And then you go Evan Bayless, 6'5", 250. Robert Tanyan, 6'5", 237. Pharaoh McEver, 6'6", 259. Mercedes Lewis, 6'6", 267. And then, of course, Jimmy Graham at 6'7", 265. And for those of you who haven't had a chance to see these players in person, whether it be at a training camp or a mini camp or in a game situation, Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham at 6'6 and 6'7 respectively are massive, massive human beings in person. And then Pharaoh McEver, again, 6'6 as well. Even your Robert Tanyans and your Evan Baylisses at 6'5 really stand out in the entire Packers roster uh, for their size when you go out and watch practice. So, uh, you know, I, I can't say that Jay Sternberger's quite as intimidating at 6'4, 251, but that just goes to show you how big this tight end group is when, when Jay Sternberger's the runt of the litter at 6'4, 251 one.
2: yeah definitely uh, that's that's crazy i didn't even realize i mean last year i stood around uh, jimmy graham and Mercedes lewis and that's always the first thing that sticks out you can tell who the freak guys are as far as size goes uh but yeah i didn't realize that some of the undrafted guys or younger players that they brought in were that big as well so that's something that they clearly have a type apparently if that's the case uh even though they must have really liked sternberger's film or his projection because yeah, he's kind of like you mentioned the runt of the litter and he's the one that's a little bit uh, different from the other guys that you mentioned.
1: Yeah. And we'll definitely touch on touch base on that a little bit, just a moment as well. So uh, those are kind of our, our major themes, the, the two things that stood out to each of us individually, but let's kind of go one by one now and kind of break down this depth chart and let's kind of start from the the quote unquote bottom and kind of work our way up. So Let's start with Pharaoh McKever because I think uh, we would probably agree that he's probably uh, at least uh, at, the, if not at the bottom, near the bottom of this kind of pecking order. The Packers have six tight ends in total on their roster. Pharaoh McKever is the most recent addition to this group. Uh, he's going to be wearing number eighty-four. He's six-six-two, fifty-nine, twenty-five years old. He's in his first year out of Florida International. In high school, he played quarterback and safety. In college, he played wide receiver, defensive line, tight end, and special teams. Uh, in in the pros, he's probably going to be more of an inline tight end type of player. Um, And he's going to have to really make a name for himself on special teams. He blocked a punt, if I remember correctly, in college. So that's going to be something that he's going to have to carry over uh, into his NFL career. But uh, I I know this isn't a player that I don't think either you or I have spent a ton of time studying, Jacob. Maybe I'm wrong in assuming that. But (laughs) anything that's uh, stood out to you about Pharaoh McEver? anything that you think he might be able to bring to the table this season?
2: No, I think you hit it pretty good. I mean, no offense to the guy. It would be—I think it's fair to say—it would be a surprise if he made the roster, just because there's a lot of guys ahead of him. Unless he just blows up training camp and makes a play. You know, very—I call this the Geronimo Allison. Where, if you guys remember Geronimo Allison's camp, he made a play like every single day in camp, and he was getting praise from Aaron Rodgers, making plays with Aaron Rodgers. That's really the way that guys like this make the roster. And the other thing he's going to have to do is impress on special teams because, I mean, you mentioned the guys earlier, Jimmy Graham, veteran. He's not going to take snaps from him most likely. Mercedes Lewis, same thing. Jay Sternberger, high draft pick. Robert Tanyan, somebody who's been in the organization. They clearly like him as well. I think you've hit it. You know, these two – the two guys here at the quote-unquote bottom, this is really – are they demons on special teams and can they make a play a day essentially uh, to – To make the final roster, ultimately what you're looking at here is probably both of these younger guys at the end looking for some seasoning on the practice squad and maybe potentially making a a run at a roster spot in 2020.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. And I think between Pharaoh McEver and Evan Bayless, uh, those two are probably fighting one another uh, for that, you know, maybe one of the 10 practice squad spots. And I think one of the things that Pharaoh McEver has going for him, if he's looking for that practice squad spot, is if he does have some of that versatility, you know, it, when you get to practice, you want guys who can do a variety of different, different things and show you a variety of different looks. If he can on, you know, scout team, play some defensive line, can play some tight end, play some wide receiver, play a variety of special teams, you know, he's going to be able to emulate a lot of 6'6 six, six tight ends uh, that they'll be playing against this season if he's playing scout team in practice. So while he may be a very long shot to make this 53, if he can show some of those things that you just mentioned, I, I think he has a decent shot at sticking around as a practice squad guy just because some of those reasons that I just mentioned. And, and that's your path, right? Start. You got to start somewhere. Start on the practice squad, make a name for yourself and scout team, all of a sudden, maybe there's an injury on the roster and you're the tight end that knows the the playbook. So they call you up to be the fourth tight end on game days. Maybe you get activated, maybe you don't. All of a sudden you get activated. Now you're active on game days and another guy goes down and all of a sudden you see the field and now you've got your chance. So th- that's the pathway to a player like this. And I agree with you, there's there's two pathways uh, in my opinion, to the to the roster for players like this. Um, and the first is, as you mentioned, like Geronimo Allison, you just make a play every single day and basically make it that they don't cut you. The other is the the James Crawford, where you are just such an insane standout madman on special teams that they're going to keep you for that one specific reason and hope that you can stick as a roster player the other way. And then, of course, the other is by making your way up through the practice squad. So I I like his potential as a practice squad player because of some of that versatility and, again, some of the things he might be able to do on scout team. But uh, I think we're on the same page that he's going to have a tough time making the 53.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, the, the James Crawford thing that you mentioned, I remember, I think it was in Kansas City or something somewhere last year where he just was a blur on the screen and destroyed somebody on a kickoff. And it was like... Like you saw it right there. It's like, okay, he just made the roster. And that's kind of the kind of play that you're going to have to see from somebody like this or uh, the next guy that we're going to talk about here.
1: Yeah. So let's jump right into him. And that's Evan Bayless. Uh, He wears number 49, 6'5, 250, 25 years old in his first year out of Oregon. Not a super great athlete. Didn't test well athletically coming out of school. Um, He stood out to me more for his size more than anything else at practice. I thought he had nice hands when I was kind of watching a little bit in mini camp, but um, not a lot of high-end traits for Evan Bayless. So I think he's, again, we, we just talked about this same type of player in Farrell McEver. He's going to have to stand out in some way, shape, or form, either in a special team's way. Maybe maybe he, you know, and, and I will say this, the only real blocker that they have on this team is Mercedes Lewis. And if something were to happen to Mercedes Lewis, where maybe he gets hurt or he's just, you know, hit, hit his, the, the end of the road. There, there has to be a player who can step up and be the blocking tight end on this team. And if McEver or Bayless can all of a sudden step up and show that they're really adept at being that blocking tight end, which I don't think either of them are at this point in their careers, but if they could do that, that would give them another notch towards maybe uh, making the roster should something happen from an injury standpoint. But again, I think Bayless is in the same spot where he's going to have to do something, set himself apart in some way, shape or form to try and make this team.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Something else that could be potentially interesting is some people have talked about the usage of an H-back or something, some similar role to that in the offense. So you mentioned blocking ability. Uh, That's something that could play a role, even in the sense of if Danny Vitale, you know, you just mentioned Mercedes Lewis being a blocking tight end. Obviously, that's been the case of his career. But if Danny Vitale were to have an injury or something like that, they could choose to keep that extra tight end. Uh, instead of the fullback and use him in that kind of role that's something where it's kind of been a path to playing time for Jay Sternberger that has been talked about but that could be something for somebody that's a little more adept as a blocker uh, than as a pass catcher so that's another potential option uh, for Bayless and he's got a really cool number for a tight end so that's something (laughs) else that plays in his favor
1: is there is there a story behind number 49 for a tight end is that something you are
2: no, I did not wear number 49, but uh, I go by the Marcus Eversall theory of the lower the number, the cooler it looks.
1: Okay. All right. I've never, I've never heard uh, Marcus's theory on that, so I'll have to keep an eye on Evan Bayless and, and see if he can make a name for himself wearing number 49. I'm trying to think of another number 49 for the Packers off the top of my head. I don't even know that I can think of one.
2: No, I was thinking that sounds like a number that a long snapper might have used. or Oh, Robert Francois. Oh, for nice
1: 49. poll. Yeah, very nice pull.
2: Yeah, very lucky there. But yeah, Robert Francois. The only reason I remember him is because in 2011, the Packers played the Raiders at home. Or no, excuse me. They played Detroit on the road. And the guy that was playing in front of him was DJ Smith, and he got hurt. And everybody was like, oh, my God. Like, the Packers' linebacker depth wasn't good. And Francois made, like, this crazy leaping interception. And they had, like, 100 interceptions that season. He was just another one. But yeah, there you go. Robert Francois, 49.
1: So Evan Bayless looking to be the Robert Francois of tight ends this season going into 2019. All right, Jacob, uh, before we get to everyone's favorite tight end, Robert Tanyan, I want to take a quick moment to tell our listeners about Ticket King. Listen, I know the rumor out there is that Packer tickets are insanely hard to come by and that you can only get them if you're a season ticket holder, but that's simply not the case. Ticket King's got you covered for every possible game this season, including home games, road games, preseason games, playoff games. If you are in desperate need of Packer tickets, please visit our friends over at the Ticket King. You can go to TicketKing.com, use promo code Packaday. That's promo code Packaday, no dashes, no spaces, and you'll get ten percent off your purchase today. A huge, huge thank you to the Ticket King for sponsoring our podcast. Please go support us by supporting them, and go get yourself some amazing Packer tickets in the process. All right, Jacob. That's Ticket King. Next is Robert Tanyan, obviously the greatest tight end of all time. 6'5", 237, 25 years old, second year out of Indiana State. Tell me your thoughts on Robert Tanyan before I get on my soapbox.
3: Yeah,
2: I feel kind of bad because I said that, in the, I think it was shortly after the draft that Robert Tanyan was more likely to get cut than he was to make a significant impact this season. Now, ultimately, I think neither one of those things happened. I think he had one path to him for playing time. Is like you mentioned, being he's not really a blocker, but Mercedes Lewis, if he hits that wall, Tanyan's already been in the NFL, and he's probably more likely to be ready early than Jay Sternberger is. And that's something that could be valuable. You know, all it takes is an opportunity. And Tanyan showed some flashes last year. Obviously, everybody remembers the big touchdown against Seattle where (laughs) I'm convinced Joe Buck didn't know his name because he just yelled Tanyan. Cause I think he was looking down his roster card and saw 85 and shouted Tanyan cause he didn't know his name, but beside the point, you know, he did really well in the preseason last year, did some stuff on special teams. I think that he's intriguing from the standpoint of everybody likes to make those George Kittle uh, comparisons and he's been training with George Kittle in the off season. So that's something that could be a positive. He's one of those guys, any of these next three guys that we're going to talk about, I think could start or finish the season as high as tight end two and as low as tight end four. Uh, So it's really up to him to kind of take an opportunity and run with it because as we get to Sternberger, you'll see that I'm not overly optimistic about his ability to make an impact in his first season. That's nothing against Sternberger, the prospect, because I really did like him going into the draft. It's just it's really hard for a tight end to make an impact early. Usually those guys aren't anything near contributors until their third year in the league.
1: You know, I think that makes sense. And I think you're right by saying that. I think it's fairly safe to say Jay Sternberger, Jimmy Graham, and Mercedes Lewis are going to make the 53-man roster barring any health issues. Um, I think it's fairly safe to say that Pharaoh McEver and Evan Bayless probably aren't set for the 53-man roster barring something spectacular uh, or again, barring injury issues as well. So, Barring any player coming onto this roster that we're not aware of right now, Robert Tanyan's in the position where if they keep three tight ends, it's not looking great. If they keep four, he's the fourth guy. And I don't think there's much much question about that. And I think it's more likely than not that they keep four tight ends. Although things that you know Robert Tanyan's probably battling against uh, are maybe if, if Green Bay all of a sudden wants to keep seven wide receivers again. If all of a sudden Danny Vitali becomes much more involved in the offense as a fullback, maybe that fourth tight end becomes much less important. They've got tremendous depth along the offensive and defensive lines. If all of a sudden they want to stash an extra player there because they don't want to lose them, uh, then again, a player like Robert Tanyan could find himself on the way out. So. I think that's the realistic situation that we're in with Robert Tanyan. Of course, me being a huge Robert Tanyan stand that I am, uh, I definitely am am, uh, hoping that he makes a big impact. And for those of you who aren't familiar with maybe why I am such a Robert Tanyan stan that I am, I was at minicamp training camp, uh, excuse me, the very first minicamp from a season ago uh, when Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham were kind of uh, making their very first appearance and their very first impressions upon Packer fans. Aaron Rodgers was like a kid in a candy store. He was throwing everything up to them the entire day. And it was a ton of fun to watch. And then all of a sudden at the end of practice, uh, a big tight end catches a, a ball over the seam. It was a beautiful catch. He explodes up the field. And I'm like, Oh, I wonder which one it was that time. Was it Jimmy Graham or Mercedes Lewis? And I look up, and it was 85. And at the time I'm like, I, I had no idea who 85 was. And I looked out, look at my phone and checked the roster and it's Robert Tanyan. I'm like, who the hell is Robert Tanyan? So I had to kind of go back and do my research a little bit. And all of a sudden I start, you know, kind of reviewing some of his college clips and uh, some of his, uh, you know, tape from, from previous seasons and, and things of that nature. And he really was somebody that started to stand out to me. I went back and continued to watch practice and he continued to make plays. And then, like you said, in preseason came up with some big touchdowns. I uh, I know there was the big, you know, Boyle to, to Tanyan touchdown against the Chiefs. And then, uh, of course, he made the big touchdown against Seattle, like you mentioned as well. So he's kind of somebody that I've been keeping my eye on. I think he has the ability to be a move tight end in this offense. I think he can fit Matt LaFleur's offense very, very well. Uh, but he is like a lot of other second-year players on this team. So your Tyler Lancasters, your Tim Boyles, your Alex Lights, your Raven Greens, your Fidole Browns, you know, all these type of guys – I love their talent, and I think they're super fun to watch, and a lot of those guys have been super, super high on. However, what I would say is is kind of use Lindsey Pipkins as a precautionary tale. Lindsey Pipkins, 2017, came in, was a very similar thing. He was kind of one of my undrafted free agent crushes from that season. He played amazing in the preseason, made the 53, got some playing time at the end of the year, looked good in doing so, and comes back 2018, I think some of us had some expectation that maybe he could play a role within this defense. And in the off season, he just didn't have that same kind of swagger. He didn't have the same, uh, I don't think mentality. I don't think he was playing quite as hard. I don't know if maybe he thought he had the roster made, Uh, but he ends up finding himself traded because let's be real. They were going to cut him anyway. Uh, So he gets traded for Antonio Morrison and and he kind of bounced around the league a little bit last year. I believe he's in Cleveland now, but that's kind of my precautionary tale with a lot of these players And what I'll say about almost all of them and Robert Tanyan included is that if you told me that Robert Tanyan had a breakout year this year and became a really significant piece of this offense, wouldn't shock me one bit. If you told me that he ended up not making the 53, wouldn't shock me. It surprised me a little bit, but it wouldn't shock me. So that's where I'm at with Robert Tanyan. I think he has a ton of potential, a ton of talent, but it's really up to him to put that together and take that next leap kind of, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think that's
2: fair, and I think that's kind of the one of the most exciting parts of of training camp this season is there are so many second year guys that you know some of them could make the leap, and some of them unfortunately aren't going to. I mean, if all of your players got significantly better in one off season, I mean, you would have a dynasty every single year, and it doesn't it doesn't always work that way. So that might be that point that you made there. One of the most, you know, Tanya and Lancaster. Uh, Tony Brown, some of the guys that are like were surprises, if you were a year ago, uh, coming up to potentially whether or not they're going to make the roster this year because they may make a leap or they may not. And sometimes your lack of pedigree, upside, athletic levels, all that stuff can be a little hard to overcome uh, on a year to year basis. It really is when you start looking at these players. In the way that we kind of have over the last couple of years and just kind of paying a little bit more attention and understanding, you know, it's not it's not a video game and it's not just plug and play and all that kind of stuff. You really do get an appreciation for how good some of the best of the best are to for them to be able to sustain that level of consistency of being a productive and good player every single year, year in and year out. It really is a hard thing to replicate at the professional level.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I mean, when you see some of these guys, like you said, have careers like like Jimmy Graham, for example, a 10-year career uh, like he's had, uh, it's just so hard to do that year in and year out and play at the top of your game and, and be that type of player. So uh, like you said, just just making a 53-man roster is so incredibly difficult sustaining a high level of success in the NFL year after year uh, is really something that I don't think, like you said, a lot of, a lot of people really understand just how difficult that that can be. So hopefully Tanya can put it together. Hopefully a lot of those guys that we mentioned can put it together, but I think he's going to be one of the more intriguing ones to watch in camp along with some of those other names that we mentioned earlier. All right, next up, that brings us to rookie Jay Sternberger, number 87, 6'4", 251, 23 years old, a rookie out of Texas A&M, uh, no, if if I remember correctly, Jacob, I think you did the tight ends for the Chiefside TV draft guide. Is that correct?
2: I did. That is correct.
1: Yeah. So let's let's hear your kind of uh, film breakdown and your uh, draft profile for Jay Sternberger.
2: Yeah, I, I really liked him as a player. I, you know, I tend to uh, favor the move tight ends, if you will, instead of uh, some of the more traditional types, dynamic players, uh, players that can stretch the seam in his pass catching. And I really thought. Uh, after your Iowa kids, the Hawkinsons, and the fans of the world, that Jay Sternberger just narrowly missed out on being my third tight end. Uh, I ended up giving a nod to Irv Smith just because I thought he had that that pass-catching abil- ability in addition to the blocking. Sternberger, obviously his blocking is going to leave a little to be desired at this point in his career, but his effort is there. Uh, and when he gets the ball in his hands in the open field, he's capable of making guys miss. He can run by guys. He's a pretty good route runner. He's got strong hands. He makes contested catches. The biggest thing about Sternberger in his first season, maybe two seasons, is going to be just overall play strength uh, because I think that he's a, well, you kind of mentioned he's the runt of the litter, if you will. He's got a really lean body type. They played receiver at Kansas, if I'm not mistaken, before transferring over to AM. So he kind of had the Richard Rodgers' path, but in reverse. Well, Richard Rodgers' career at Cal was a completely different story, but kind of goofy with how he played receiver, then tight end, and then I think he moved back to big receiver before ultimately playing tight end in the NFL. Uh, But Sternberger is a guy who I really think, you know, 2021, he really had – 2020 maybe as well. It kind of depends on his development and how things go and that sort of thing. But I really do struggle to see a – a path to him being a productive rookie uh, during his first season just because, one, this is an incredibly complex system. The Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur kind of medley that they're going to run here in Green Bay is incredibly difficult to learn. And then you add in that the tight end position is just so difficult because on one play they're asking you to run by Kyle Fuller and create a play that way, and then the next play they're asking you to block Khalil Mack. I mean, that's – you know. (laughs) not an easy assignment for anybody there, but I really think I liked the upside. I was the only thing that I was disappointed about. And I've told this story uh, on this platform before was when Aaron Campman announced the pick. Uh, He announced Sternberger's name is chase. So for two seconds, I had thought the Packers had drafted chase Winovich and that would have sent me through the roof, but that obviously didn't happen because his name is Jace Sternberger. But still eventually, once I came down from the fact that my draft crush wasn't joining the team, Uh, that's somebody I really liked at a position that they need is, I think he's got a really good group of guys to learn from as well. Between Jimmy Graham, we'll talk about him in a little bit. Say what you will, he's a pro's pro, and so is Mercedes Lewis uh, in terms of teaching those young guys. And Robert Tanya's actually talked about that as far as both Graham and Mercedes Lewis, uh, teaching him how to play in the NFL, how you go about practice, small stuff you notice to just make a, a routine play, let alone a difficult one like we've seen. You know, Graham or even Lewis Make in the past. So I think Sternberger for this year has some really good guys around him to kind of help him. but I really do anticipate this being a red shirt year uh, barring you know health issues.
1: That's a really good point on uh, both of them, both saying that, uh, you know, he's got some really great people to learn from both a receiving tight end and Graham uh, blocking tight end kind of more in Lewis. And then both of them just being pros pros. And like you said earlier, it's not easy to navigate and have a, a decade long plus career in the NFL. He's got two players to learn from, see how they've taken care of their bodies, see how they've been able to navigate uh, the NFL for over a decade. And hopefully you can pick up a lot from them. Um, you know, I think, uh, a couple of the notes that I had down when I did my kind of breakdown of Jay Sternberger, I thought he was the most naturally gifted receiving tight end that Green Bay's selected since JerMichael Finley in the third round in 2008. Uh, Pro Football Focus had him rated as their highest-rated draft-eligible tight end from a receiving standpoint in 2019. I thought what was really interesting, and you kind of brought this up at the very beginning of the podcast, is that he did not meet their normal thresholds uh, at all. Again, and he's even a little bit shorter uh, and smaller than some of the other tight ends that they've brought in for this roster. And they still took him, which to me says they loved his play and his game so much that they said, screw the thresholds. We want this guy on our roster and we're going to take him regardless of that. I thought he has natural hands. I think he plays faster on tape than what his testing showed. I thought he had natural run after the catch ability. Uh, I thought really when you kind of throw some of those quick throws into, into the uh, picture, like they've kind of thrown to Richard Rodgers and all these other tight ends over the years, some of those slant flats, I think it, you know Sternberger has the ability to take some of those and actually turn them upfield, which is going to be a very nice change of pace. I think he has the ability to be a red zone threat, and uh, I think he's a very natural route runner. And I I think he may have the ability to play some slot receiver, some big slot receiver uh, as time goes on as well. And I think he can definitely be a weapon on third and five, third and six, third and seven, those type of situations where he can kind of box out and use his body a little bit as well. So I think he brings a lot to the table, but I think you are right to temper expectations, Jacob, in the fact that. Rookie tight ends have shown over the course of the last decade or so that it is not easy to come in and play the tight end position as a rookie. It takes some seasoning, it takes some time. This is the guy that's supposed to be the heir apparent to Jimmy Graham when they want to move on from him. Not necessarily be the guy this year, maybe next year, more likely the year after that so that he can really be uh, that big threat for Aaron Rodgers, you know, as he enters the, you know, kind of late stages of his career.
2: Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. You know, a lot of people, you know, one of the first things I like to do when the new Madden comes out of the roster update in the case of what I've been using is play with the rookies. And the reality is, even though I went through a Madden franchise and had 60 catches for 800 yards and yeah. nine touchdowns with Sternberger, those are video game numbers. That's absolutely not going to happen. I would bet you I'd be surprised if Sternberger even catches like 20 passes this year, something that could play to his advantage early, is with Matt LaFleur kind of giving some of these unscouted looks early in the year, maybe Sternberger becomes somebody that they try and, like, sneak one out to. Um, You know, kind of like what the 49ers do with, like, Kyle Juszczyk or some of the other, like, non-George Kittle tight ends that they use to sneak out on those things. That's something that he could do. But, yeah, ultimately I think that, like you said, you're looking at maybe Graham is around in 2020. I would be surprised if that's the case with the salary cap situation. As I understand it, uh, but if he's if he's not, then yeah, that's what they're looking for. That's your target year for a big leap, if you will, from Jay Sternberger.
1: Absolutely. It makes a ton of sense. All right. Next up is Mercedes Lewis, number 89. Of course, six six two sixty seven. He is 35 years old, his 14th year out of UCLA. Uh, they signed him to a one-year deal. They kind of bring him back. Well, first of all, Jacob, were you a fan of this move? Is this something that you were maybe hoping for? Did it catch you off guard? Were you surprised? What was your initial reaction when they kind of brought him back?
2: I was surprised because he went on, I can't remember what show it was. But I thought for sure after he basically went on there and said that Rodgers would change plays in the huddle or something to that effect. He was on the show with the the Bennett brother that the Packers signed a couple years ago, uh, as well as I think Michael Bennett was on that show too. But um, he went on there and basically said that like Rodgers would change plays in the huddle and McCarthy's offense wasn't good for tight ends. And it wasn't necessarily quote unquote bad mouthing the organization but I thought as conservative as the Packers typically are with these types of things uh, that he wouldn't be back uh, after that, that came out. And I mean, last year they signed him and then never used him. So even though there was a new head coach, you know, I wondered if maybe, maybe it was poor usage by McCarthy, but it also very well could have been that, you know, Lewis has hit the wall uh, because he's an older player and that unfortunately happens. So from a, From an off-field, intangibles kind of standpoint, I like the move. On the field, I just wonder how much of an impact Mercedes Lewis can really have. and I wouldn't be surprised, like I mentioned when we talked about Tanyan earlier, the reason I think he could potentially be tight end too is just because, one, he has a year of experience that Jay Sternberger doesn't have, and two, if Mercedes Lewis is like done, that'll be obvious in camp, preseason, stuff like that. And if I remember right Andy, I think it was you who tweeted out his contract details and basically said it wouldn't be a big deal if they cut him in training camp. There's not a whole lot of guaranteed there, so that's something they could look into if he's not working out.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an option. Um I don't know that it's it's likely, but I definitely think it could be something that that could happen. It's it's, it's all going to be dependence upon his play, right? So if he plays if he plays well enough, they're definitely going to keep him around, but uh basically, it's a five hundred thousand dollar cap hit on a two point one million dollar deal. So uh, they still save a significant amount of money uh, by by releasing him. You know, it's basically saving one point six million if you take a Robert Tanyan and keep him instead at about a four hundred fifty five hundred thousand dollar you know deal or whatever. You save about one point one million dollars in in difference between going from Lewis to Tanyan or something like that. So it's within the realm of possibility. They're they're definitely not you know cap committed to him. Um, it would be. A huge bummer that they basically gave five hundred thousand dollars to a player that uh, they wouldn't give a single snap to. They they just signed him this offseason to that deal, so uh, cutting him would leave a little bit of egg on their face. But it's doable. It's 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 not a it's not a set in stone lead pipe lock that he's on this team just based off a contract. Uh, like some of the other players on the roster. So I think that's possible. I'll I'll go back to last year. Actually, when we launched the podcast last year, we started off doing the same series uh, kind of before we launched episode one. And Dusty Evely and I talked to tight ends. And of course, this is right after they bring in Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham. And I was head over heels with the Packers signing Mercedes Lewis specifically because I thought he addressed a major weakness on the roster. They didn't have that blocking tight end. They had uh, Tanya and they had, you know, Jimmy Graham, they had, um, you know, Lance Kendricks, but they didn't have anyone who could really block at that point. And over the course of his career, Mercedes Lewis uh, was one of the better blocking tight ends in football. So to, to at a pretty minimum deal last year, get him to bring in and be one of the best blocking tight ends at a major area of need and weakness. I thought it was a genius move by Brian Gutekunst. And again, whether that was due to Mike McCarthy not using him correctly or him hitting the wall, it did not end up that way at all. And I'll say this, when I went and graded Mercedes Lewis and watched him on tape, some people might still have the idea that Mercedes Lewis is a really good blocking tight end. And maybe that's the case. And I'll say he, he had flashes last year where he, where he flashed that ability, where he would pancake people or drive people down the line of scrimmage. But he had a lot of swings and misses too, where he would just whiff on players and allow really easy penetration. And a part of that, and I actually uh, Aaron Nagler tweeted this out uh, at midpoint last year when I was kind of a little bit critical of Mercedes Lewis's game, a, a part of that maybe due to the fact that he would get one snap out of nowhere and then they'd take him out and he wouldn't play again for two quarters and then he'd go in for one snap again. Well, it's tough to get any rhythm or consistency when you're not playing at all. And when you're you know, coming in cold and you all of a sudden have to go up against the best players who've been in all game and are in a rhythm, well, now you're all of a sudden trying to block those players. And again, you're coming in cold. And again, you're, you're just not in any rhythm or consistency whatsoever. So maybe he gets a little bit more involved. Maybe with that, he becomes a little bit more consistent. Uh, but I, I do think that he has to show that he has the ability to be a more consistent blocker than what he was over the course of last season. Because I do think that he struggled a bit last season. And, and hopefully it's not that he hit the wall, but I think it's something to keep an eye out for.
2: Yeah, I agree, and that's not a bad point either. Is you know, players are creatures of habit, creatures of routine, as as much as anyone else is. And like you mentioned, you know, throwing Mercedes Lewis into the wind and just hoping that that worked out well probably was a, a misuse of him uh, for for his season. So we'll see how that goes. Obviously, it's a new offense. It's a new head coach. I'm sure that Brian Gutekunst and Matt LaFleur talked about this, and they said, hey, what do you think of Mercedes Lewis? If LaFleur didn't think he could use him, then he probably would have said, ah, don't even worry about it. Then we can figure (laughs) something else out. Or You know, for that kind of money, they could have signed – oh, and his name escapes me right now. Uh, There was a tight end who was a free agent from the Titans last year, and he signed for similar money to Mercedes Lewis, and I can't remember his name because I didn't expect to be able to talk about him tonight, but nonetheless – those kinds of players could have been found for the money that they paid Mercedes Lewis and instead they brought back Lewis. So they clearly think there's something there. It's just up to the coaching staff to bring it out of him.
1: Yeah, that's totally the case. And uh, like you said, there's definitely other options that they could have went. I definitely think that Matt LaFleur uh, plans on using him much more. There was a lot of two tight end sites, two tight end sets even in practice in minicamp so far. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Um, And I do think, uh, that with, you know, with more play, you know, I think he can be a little bit more consistent and, and hopefully let, that's the case. And let's also not forget, this was not a team in the Packers last year, that was ahead in a lot of games to put in their five-minute offense and maybe grind away with Mercedes Lewis a little bit more. This was a team that was pretty consistently playing even or from behind, and it's tough to put in your big run-blocking uh, tight end who's not quite as adept as a, as being a receiver anymore when you're in some of those situations. So maybe that played a little bit of a part of it as well, and hopefully this year they're they're playing from ahead a little bit more often.
2: Yeah, hopefully, because... Well, winning is a lot more fun than losing, but yeah, that's another good point is I'm sure when they signed him, they were thinking, okay, like very similar to when, if you guys remember when they drafted uh, Eddie Lacey and Jonathan Franklin, the idea at the time was probably that Jonathan Franklin and James Starks and guys like that, were going to get them to lead. And obviously Eddie Lacey was going to be a part of that as well. But then Eddie Lacey was going to be the one that grinded them away at the end of the game. Jimmy Graham was going to be the guy that makes the big sexy plays scores, touchdowns, all that stuff. But when, It's third and four, and Green Bay needs to run the ball for a first down. Mercedes Lewis is going to be in there, and he's going to blow this guy off the ball, and we're going to run the clock out because of that. But they didn't have a chance to do that because, like you mentioned, they weren't very good last year. I mean, that's really all it boils down to, and you're not really running the ball to run the clock out if you're playing from behind, which was the case for most of the
1: year last year. Absolutely. I think it was Luke Stocker you were thinking of before for the That TV? is.
2: Yep. That's the name. Yep. Luke Stocker. Former Tampa Bay Buck too, if I remember right.
1: I think you are correct. So no, I, I know exactly what you mean. And I, I thought that he actually may have made, uh, been a decent option for them coming off of Matt Lafleur system, but obviously they decided to bring back Mercedes Lewis. All right. That brings us though to Jimmy Graham. Of course, wearing number 80, 6'7", 32 years old, his 10th year out of Miami, Let's talk about Jimmy Graham. We talked about him a little bit already, and, and maybe not, co- you know, quite putting up the numbers that maybe some of us were expecting. But w- what was your reaction uh, on Graham's, you know, season from last year?
2: Ah, uh, kind of, I'm a little nicer, I guess, than most people are when it comes to stuff like that. But him playing with a broken thumb is something I appreciate, and it's kind of the catch twenty two of you know, players playing injured. A player plays hurt, doesn't play well. Fans bag on him because he didn't play well, but did he not play well? Because I mean, Jimmy Graham was playing with a broken thumb. That's not an easy injury for a path catcher. And let's not forget, Aaron Rodgers is the one firing him fastballs, so it's not like we're throwing little lob balls in his hand. Rodgers throws the ball pretty hard. So from that standpoint, I appreciate him. He could have very easily, especially on a team that you know he came to Green Bay because he said he wanted to play in the postseason. He said he wanted to play for Super Bowls. And it would have been very easy for him to just mail it in and say, nope, forget it. I'm not playing because if I remember right, he broke his thumb or it was revealed he had a broken thumb the week before they played in Chicago. So it was cold in Chicago that year. And it would have been easy to say, well, no, it's cold. It's nasty out. We don't have any more indoor games. Nothing's going to be easy. I'm going to be uncomfortable. My thumb hurts. I'll sit on the sideline. So from that side of things, I appreciate him. On the actual on-field stuff, I mean – When you're paying a guy $10, $12 million a season, it's really hard to look at it as anything other than a disappointment because this was a guy they were expecting to kind of build their offense around to some degree. You know, Devontae Adams was a proven pass catcher, and after that I think they were hoping that Jimmy Graham was the guy to take the pressure off of him. He had a pretty good game against Minnesota early in the year, and he had a good game against San Francisco on the Monday night game. But other than that, I mean, there just aren't a whole lot of plays that stick out. He was not the red zone threat that everybody was hoping he was going to be in Green Bay. And I really thought, I mean, for I'm no fantasy football expert, but as soon as Green Bay signed him, I was like, okay, book it, 10 touchdowns. Like, I think I read the over-under for his touchdown in Vegas was six and a half. I was like, that is a hammer-the-over kind of play. He ended up with two, uh, which was, I thought, surprising. Because if nothing else, even if he wasn't the Jimmy Graham from New Orleans, I think it was fairly reasonable to expect the fact that he could at least score some touchdowns, but he didn't do that. Uh, That's disappointing. I was willing uh, if I were the GM and be thankful for everybody that I'm not, but if I were the GM, I would have been willing to give him a second season in a new offense. Obviously if you're asking him to block a defensive end or make some plays like that in the run game, you're setting him up to fail. I think that that's something that needs to be looked at and remedied. Hopefully Gutekunst and LaFleur and all those guys and their comments on him being a good blocker is something they don't actually believe, but something they said in public because they didn't want to say, oh, he's a crappy blocker. I mean, I don't really know why else they would say that, but at, beside the point, um, if you're asking him to block a defensive end, you're setting him up to fail. So I think that if you use him as this big wide receiver in the play action game, slot receiver... Uh, and make plays down the field I think he's slated to have a better year this year he'll be more comfortable in Green Bay more comfortable in the offense I think the offense will also do a better job of making things easier for him you know something last year that I think is there's a there's two sides of the coin when it comes to Aaron Rodgers having full autonomy at the line of scrimmage and that is that Graham was playing in a new offense and with Rodgers taking the play clock you know all the way down to one almost and honestly zero a couple times too but that's not really helping Graham when you go to the line he's expecting one thing and then you change the play two maybe three different times and then he's kind of in a different spot to where he doesn't really have a whole lot of help in that regard so I think simplifying some stuff in Green Bay this year with LaFleur and I think that's something that you know Green Bay has talked about a lot even if they haven't explicitly said it everything that they're doing defense running game easier concepts as far as the passing game goes they want to take pressure off of their quarterback, doing that will make things easier in tune for Jimmy Graham as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's totally correct. And uh, I think uh, you were reading my notes on Jimmy Graham because the touchdown thing is the big thing that stood out to me as well. Uh, and just kind of the degradation that that was, uh, you know, kind of from 2017 to 2018. But, but let me let me read these through to you because I think this is something that really stood out to me. The difference between Jimmy Graham from 2017 to 2018, from his last year in Seattle to this past year in Green Bay. He played in 16 games in both seasons. He started 13 for Seattle, 12 for Green Bay, had 96 targets in Seattle, 89 in Green Bay. So negligible difference. He caught 57 passes in Seattle, 55 in Green Bay, only 520 yards in Seattle, had 636 in Green Bay. So 116 more. Um, His receiving uh, yards per reception, only 9.1 in Seattle, 11.6 in Green Bay. His longest reception, 33 yards in Seattle, 54 in Green Bay. Uh, His yards per game were up 7.3. His catch percentage was up 2.4. His yards per target was up 2.7. So basically every receiving stat from his, his year over year, from 2017 in Seattle to 2018 in Green Bay, was better uh, to a T, except for touchdowns. Ten touchdowns in Seattle in 2017. Two for the Packers in 2018, and that's really where they were hoping that he was going to have that big impact was as that big red zone threat. They tried throwing him some back shoulder fades, they tried him on some slants, they tried a variety of different things, and ultimately it just didn't work. He had uh, he did have the touchdown, like uh, I think you may have mentioned this that got called back against Minnesota, uh, where it was the the kind of phantom hold on Lane Taylor. Um, so you know he maybe could add a couple more here or there. Um, he had a couple, uh, you know, plays bounce off his hands that led to Aaron Rodgers only two interceptions on the season. It was a it was a Jekyll and Hyde season. I agree with you one hundred percent. I love the fact that he played through the injury. That shows character. That shows that he cared about this even when the season was lost. There was nothing left to play for. Playoffs were out of question. He was still in there playing with his broken thumb. So there's a lot to respect out of that. But uh, I think his season did still leave a little bit up. Uh, you know, to to what Packer fans were hoping for. It didn't live up to quite those expectations, but I think there's some hope in a new offense. I agree with with Mercedes Lewis, by the way, and the the Bennett who shall not be named that I do not think Mike McCarthy's offense did any favors to the tight end position. And uh, I do think that uh, this is going to be a, a different era for tight ends in Green Bay. So hopefully that'll set Jimmy Graham free a little bit. Hopefully he's healthy and and can really have that year that uh, they, they paid him to have going into this season.
2: Yeah, that's, I mean, the the tight end thing that you just mentioned, if you really think about it, 2010, when they won the Super Bowl, the first, what, six games of that season, they really built that offense around Jermichael Finley. And it's strange that Mike McCarthy's offense is as unfriendly to tight ends as it is, because when you listen to him talk, he always talks about how much he likes his tight ends and how he thinks that they're so important to the offense. He even mentioned them as one of the eight most important positions in all of football. And yet yeah other than like I said 2010 with Michael Finley I think 2012 he broke the franchise record for receptions in a season that might have been 2011 with that video game offense they had too but really not all that friendly to the position as a whole I mean some of that was probably overshadowed just because they had you know one year it was Richard Rodgers and Andrew Corliss and then They kind of went the veteran free agent route, and really Jared Cook is the only one. And Jared Cook didn't have a great year. I think we just kind of remember him very fondly because the offense picked up as he returned late in 2016 and then obviously made the great play down the sideline against Dallas in the playoffs. But other than that, I mean, the Packers' offense wasn't really all that conducive to success for their tight ends. Uh, There might have been a lot of reasons for that, but I think you just laid some of them out. And now, I mean, I don't know if – Jermichael Finley's record for receptions by a tight end in a season is in jeopardy, but it's certainly something that I think is going to become a lot more of a focal point in their offense. And it's not just going to be lip service like it had been in recent years.
1: Thank you. You're totally correct. So that does it breaking down uh, the tight ends one by one. Any predictions on uh, who makes this roster uh, out of the, the initial, you know, training camp and who makes it on the initial 53 man roster.
2: Yeah, I think you got those four guys, you know, Robert Tanyan, Jay Sternberger, Uh, Mercedes lewis and jimmy graham if you wanted to ask me i actually think that Mercedes lewis is more likely uh, to get cut than robert tanyan just because i can totally picture them going with tanyan and lewis basically played at the same level in training camp so we're going to go with the younger guy instead of the vet who maybe you'll hit a wall by you know week 10 or something like that but ultimately i do think all four of those guys make the roster
1: Yeah, I think so too. And, uh, maybe a a couple months back, I I ran a a podcast about how, uh, not all, you know, training camp battles are created equally. And when you look at Mercedes Lewis versus Robert Tanyan, should it come down to those two? Tanyan has the advantage pretty much all across the board. He's younger, he's cheaper. He's faster uh, and really probably fits this offense just a little bit better. So uh, when you start breaking down some of those things, Tony has a lot of intangibles that uh, unfortunately for Mercedes Lewis, he just doesn't have at this point. And I think the biggest thing there is younger and cheaper if you're breaking down apples to apples. So that definitely could be something that kind of swings it in his favor if it does come down to those two. But I agree with you. I think they go with four tight ends and hopefully all of them stay completely healthy and, and make their roster healthy out of camp and, are ready to go. And I think you can really use all four of those tight ends uh, in a variety of different ways. So, uh, and I expect Matt LaFleur to be creative with them as well, which will be a a really nice change of pace for the offense. All right. That is the last uh, thought on the tight end. Any other thoughts that you have today before we wrap things up, Jacob? No, I'm just
2: excited for, you know, football to start. Like you mentioned, I know I kind of was joking with Jason Perrone earlier today when we did our show over at PackersTalk.com. is, I think it's funny how, you know, for months where we have no football from February until now and then on Thursday I know without fail I'm going to see people complaining about the fact that people are given play by play updates from training camp and saying oh it doesn't matter it's just practice or whatever and then it's like well, yes, but this is the only football that we have and we've been complaining for months that we didn't have any football so now it's nice to actually have some football so I'm just excited for football to be back. I love baseball. I love basketball, all that stuff. But nothing compares to, especially, I don't know, it's just different when you're a Packers fan, I think. So getting that season back, you know, somebody, I got a friend of mine who just moved to Wisconsin and he said it was like a religion up there. And I really think that's apropos from the two years that I lived up in Green Bay. It really is like a religion. And that's something that I think stretches across the entire fan base. Uh, and It's something that I've noticed. I mean, I don't know if... Uh, you notice it living in the area, Andy, but I really do think that Packers fans, it seems like Packers fans are Packers like families too. They raise their kids to be Packers fans and kind of indoctrinate them into this religion really for lack of a better term. So I'm just excited for that to be back. We'll see what happens. You know, we can hold off on record predictions and all that stuff like that and worry about the stress of the season as it hits. But for now, I'm just ready for Aaron Rodgers to be throwing passes to Devontae Adams and even if they don't count for anything just yet, it will soon enough.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure uh, how quickly the uh, the Packers can get a nonprofit status if they you know claim that they're a religion. But I will say, uh, from you know growing, <laughs> up and, growing up and living in Green Bay, that the churches in Green Bay will set their schedule around you know Packers schedule. So it's definitely a a big deal to say the least. But anyway, uh, I think that that does it for us today. Uh, Jacob, where can we find your work, and where can we find you on Twitter?
2: Yeah, you can find me on Dairyland Express. I'm well, my internet's actually down for the moment, so I can't write anything right now, which kind of sucks. But eventually, I'll get back into that saddle. This will be my first season writing in, gosh, probably three years now. So I'm excited to get back into that. And then Twitter, I'm at Jacob Westendorf and Pack podcast, Pulse of the Pack, T Said TV, PackersTalk.com. I'm all over the place. If it's got a Packers logo on it, i probably do something with it.
1: (laughs) You're a busy man. You're doing great work. We appreciate your work here on the podcast. Uh, Thanks for everything that you do. Uh, I can't say uh, thank you enough. I appreciate
2: that, Andy. Thanks for having me on.
1: You bet. Anytime. So, for the rest of you, make sure to listen in this week. We've got a massive week ahead of us. Of course, as Jacob mentioned, we got the kickoff of training camp on Thursday. We wrap up our position by position series this week. It's our 365th episode on Thursday. So, make sure to check out Dusty, Steve, and Sarah for that. Um, it is our first episode of season two on Friday. So, make sure to check out Andrew and Kyle for that. But just a very massive week. So, make sure to check out all of those uh, individual episodes and, and keep up with us on uh, a yearly basis. So this is the fun part. You know, we're kicking off football, and you're definitely not going to want to miss everything that we're bringing you on a day to day basis. The only podcast bringing you Packers football, Packers talk 365 days a year. And on that note, I want to thank everyone that has been involved in this podcast. This will be uh, my last podcast of our first year here. And it has just been beyond insane. If you would have told me a little over a year ago when I kind of you know, hatched up this insane idea of doing a 365 day a year podcast that we would have had on all the tremendous guests that we've had. And I can't even begin to name all of them, that I would have this insane group of people that is helping to bring this podcast to you every single day, that we would have grown as much as we have, that we would have increased our Twitter following, that we we literally would not have missed an episode. I would have pretty much guaranteed you anything that we would have uh, missed an episode at some point or something would have happened. Heck, I had gallbladder surgery and was out for like a month and the team just completely carried it. Like it, like I didn't even matter. I was, I wasn't even needed Jacob and you guys covered everything and it was amazing. So this team has been tremendous. It has been absolutely amazing. There have been hiccups and bumps in the road at times, Uh, but I cannot say thank you enough to everyone who has made this happen. All of our tremendous guests. I mean, we had Kenny Clark in our first year. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. So uh, thanks to everyone. Thanks to everyone who listens every day. We could obviously not do, well, we could do this without you, but it would be way, way, way less fun. So thanks for listening. Thank you for telling everyone about us. Thanks for liking us and subscribing uh, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Uh, Just, I can't thank everyone enough for, for making this happen. It's been a tremendous ride and we can't wait to get season two started. So Thank you for listening and supporting the Pack-A-Day podcast. But until next time, and as always, Go Pack Go!